Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things parenting and mental health. Today, I am very excited to have on. Finally, we've been trying to get this done for a while. Uh, KJ Del Antonia. She is the author of the viral New York Times essay, Why I Didn't Answer Your Email. And she's also the former editor of the New York Times Motherload blog and the author of the book, How to Be a Happier Parent. Also, she has a debut novel, The Chicken Sisters, which is a New York Times bestseller and a selection in Reese Witherspoon's book club. It is a humorous exploration of the same themes that she focuses on in her journalism, the importance of finding joy in our families, the challenging of figuring out what makes us happy and the need to value the people in front of us more than the ones in our phones and laptops every single time. Welcome, KJ. Thanks for having me. This is great. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. And I realized that I have your um, your book here and then there, which I love this little like insert you had and this little <laughs> note on the back. This is how long it's been. It says, hi, Cheryl, I've been dying to get you this ever since we met at mom too. Hope you enjoy. So this was a couple of years ago. <laughs> it was like 27. I mean, the, the book I would have sent you in 2018. So we must have met at mom probably spring of that year. Yes. It's so crazy how much time goes by, but finally we're connecting and I'm I'm really happy about it. And you can see, I don't know if people, if they're watching on YouTube, you can see it. But if you're hearing this, I have her the copy of her book in my hand and it's like kind of tattered because I have a bookshelf in my waiting room and I leave it out as a, as a read. So I have magazines, but lots of parents read these while their their kids are getting therapy. So it's well worn. It's been nice. It's been, <laughs> but you yes. can get it in paperback now, so it looks a little different. Ooh, and it's very pretty, pretty in paperback. Yeah. That is pretty. Well, I wanna jump right in. You in your intro write, quote, this period, this time we have with everyone packed into the house and living living life so fully intertwined, it ends. Oh my gosh, I have to tell you, that just like struck me in the heart. So my oldest is 13 and I feel like all we're doing lately is we're talking about high school and sort of these very future oriented things. And I'm feeling like the end is nearing, even though she's just started adolescence and I have two younger ones. But I want to start off with these mantras that you have for parents. Can you lead us into why you have parenting mantras, how you got to this point, why you wrote this book. I have parenting mantras because I need parenting mantras because so frequently in my uh, life with my children when they were young and now that they are actually uh, teenagers and in one case in college, um, because I wrote those words probably in 2016 or 2017. Anyway, I have mantras because I, I need them. I, I need them in my parenting and sometimes in my life. I need to remind myself that I, I don't have to go in there when one of my children is having a tantrum. I really need to remind myself that what I want to do today is not necessarily what I will want to have done tomorrow. That's a regular one, right? So I, I have these little sayings because I actually, I, I fall back on them. Um, I love that. I, I do love them. So tell me, like, what made you write this book of all the things you write about? And how did you get to writing How to Be a Happier Parent? So when I wrote How to Be a Happier Parent, and when I started it, I was the motherload uh, 
columnist and editor at the New York Times. The motherlode doesn't exist as itself anymore. It's now a part of Well and sometimes called Well Family. The Times actually has a fresh new parenting section edited by Jess Gross, which is great and different. So um, I edited an earlier iteration of that. Uh, so I did that for a little over five years. And that means that I wrote something about parenting and not like a personal thing usually, but something about policy or culture or, or and sometimes personal stuff every single weekday for five years. And I edited something else most of those days. So I had a lot of time spent uh, listening to my own self talk about being a parent and reading things that were written by other people. And I really started to feel steeped in a cultural moment of feeling unhappy about what we were doing. All the, everything, everything I sat down to write, if I didn't watch myself, seemed to pour out as, why is this so hard? You know, why don't, doesn't anyone listen to me? Why do I have to do the dishwasher every single day? Uh, oh my goodness, everybody wants dinner again. It was like just this tone. And most of what I read took that same tone. And it wasn't even, I started to feel like it was just almost a style, like this, the, the fad. The fashion was to talk about it as though, you know, we were, we were lifting things in the coal mine when really most of us set out and often worked very hard to become parents. Like we wanted this desperately. So I wanted to look at it differently in my own life and maybe help other people to do the same. I love that. I didn't realize how steeped into the parenting world you would have been like writing every day, reading all these things. And I agree when I wrote Mommy Burnout, I think sometimes they people assume that it's a humorous take on motherhood, complaining, talking about drinking a lot of wine to get through things. I am tired of that take. Yeah. And you know, I I enjoy it sometimes. And and I, I got friends that have written some really funny books about it and I love them. I don't want to look at it that way anymore. Right. I mean, we come at it from different angles, but that's, that is uh, how I felt. I was like, okay, well, we, we broke open and we started talking about it humorously, which was probably a great entry point because it made it very accessible to people. So I appreciate that we had that yes. moment and that phase, but then, you know, our books were published the same year. I think it was like kind of the time to be like, okay, now let's take a really actual serious look. I took a look at it from the mental health angle and you took a look at it from like, I'm in the trenches too, and I'm raising a family. And here's what I did some research, right? I, I was impressed with how much research you did. And you came up with these 10 problem spots. So I would love for you to share, how did you get to them? How did you aggregate all of that information? And what are they? Or what are some of them? So, I mean, even before I do that, I, I, I wanted to say that um, one of the things that I looked at while contemplating, okay, why do we all feel like this is so hard? Another way to answer that question is because it's hard, because our society and our culture do not help, because we are, you know, one of the only remaining nations with no formal family leave, because we talk a huge game about supporting families and we do not do it. So, so there is that piece of it. And people have written amazing books about that piece of it. Um, and I thought about contributing to that shelf but ultimately decided that I was just going to own that as this is the world that we all live in. Um, you know, by the time we do have family leave and I think it's coming, it's not going to help me. 
<laughs> not having any more babies. Um, and it wouldn't help most of my readers at the time, although it doesn't mean we shouldn't fight for it. And, you know, a lot of the other policies and cultural changes, we're working towards those things and things are changing and things already have changed. But the part about being happier about the cards we have really dealt ourselves, uh, along with the ones, you know, that we just have to accept, that was what I wanted to tackle. I wanted to look at, this is what we got. You know, our bosses aren't going to suddenly start recognizing that men need, uh, you know, that, that men's children get out of school at three o'clock, just like women's children. It's astonishing how that works. Yeah, that's not going to happen for a little while, but it will happen someday. And meantime, you know, we have to deal with that. We have to deal with the fact that uh, school hours don't line up with work hours and sports uh, is unusually important in our country and therefore ends up often taking a huge role in our lives or if not sports music or chess club or spelling or dance or any of the other things that we do. So, so that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to look at where we were and what was challenging us. And you asked about what, how did I come up with the 10 areas that I ended up tackling? Um, they are, and I probably miss a few, but it was broadly speaking, homework, activities, uh, discipline, sibling relationships. Oh gosh. Uh, meals. There are so, there are so many. And the answer to how I came up with them is I looked at my life and said, well, all right, what's really hard for me. And I did a broad Facebook survey, you know, of several thousand of my closest friends, all of whom probably look exactly like me and said, what bothers you? And then I worked with a researcher at Fordham university to put together a survey. We were really careful to tackle a cross-section of, you know, of the United States that reflects the actual United States in color and, and all the other ways that we can possibly try to measure. And on that, I put an open-ended question. What is disturbing you the most? And that's how I came up with the 10 areas. I love that you got a researcher too. You know, one of the things that what was really interesting to me when I was reading your book is that you saw this theme of People, when you ask some version of the question, like, what what do you find, you know, the hardest part of parenting or something like that? And you saw this theme of people saying discipline, that disciplining their kids was the most, you know, maybe undesirable, least favorable part of parenting. Um, so I was really struck by that. But what did you get from that? What do you think people really mean by that? I think that people come up with that so often because it's hard. We don't know how to do it. We don't have a good framework for what to do when your child makes a mistake, whether it is a small one or a big one. Um, we can look back at what our parents did, but most of us were parented in, in you know, a, a somewhat different era and in one of a couple of different ways. So, you know, grounding or um, I can't be grounding being what happens to me every time I did something wrong. Grounding can be right now, but not necessarily. Spanking is almost never something that, that we support anymore. Um, and even sort of yelling or shaming or we just don't know what to do when, you know, you, you look at your iPhone and realize that your child has spent $333 in in-app purchases and knew better. I mean, that's a, that those, there's two possibilities there. And not only do we not know what to, how, what to do, but all the options don't look fun. And that's hard. 
because a lot of us would prefer that our interactions with our kids stay pleasant and light and cheerful and that the ones that aren't, that should be their fault, not ours, right? It should be because they're having a tantrum, not because we're um, coming in hot and angry, but sometimes we come in hot and angry. Yeah, I really, I really want to underscore something you just said, which is basically what was modeled for us. So in our generation, if you are a Gen X parent or maybe an older millennial, you might have seen spanking, yelling and a quick grounding. I mean, anything that I did as a kid, it was two weeks. Yeah, that's it. You're grounded for two weeks. And the phone was always taken away because that was super important to me. So no phone. And that was brutal. You know, no phone and no going out or anything. And mind you, that was a phone that was attached to the wall. The wall. Or, you know, that sat on a, like like this, we're talking landline here, people. We're talking landline for sure. And that was my after school connection, right? To other, Mm -hmm. to other people. So if I didn't get that, it's not like I could like, you know, like DM them, (laughs) you know, there was just, you were, you were really isolated. So, but you know, the thing that's interesting is, so what was modeled for us also were, I think, pretty unapologetic parents. They weren't feeling bad about any of no. these things at all, right? They just, they did it. It was what they knew. They had like three or four tools in their toolkit and they drew from one of them and that was it. And, and if, they're, if you're lucky enough to still have your parents around and have a decent relationship with them, they have a tendency to look at us and expect us to pull one of those things out of our toolbox too. Oh, so absolutely. the feeling that, that there is some right choice that society or your parents or your neighbors or the woman behind you online at the grocery store expects you to enter to, to, to do and not knowing what that choice is or not liking what the options you think are open to you. That's part of why discipline is so hard or feels yeah. so hard. Yeah. I, I really wanted to underscore that because I think sometimes people feel bad about it or why is this so hard for me? Why why is this hard? You know, and um, some of it has to do with this. These are every generation, I think, has something new that they are parenting through or going through. And, you know, digital, I know social media came up, screens, things like that come up and we don't have a model for how to deal with it. Or we can't say what somebody did with our phone. There was no such thing as your phone. There was one family phone, like you said, attached to a wall. So I, I really wanted to say that. What else did you learn or maybe were you... Um, surprised about or thought was really important from kind of doing all of this research for this book? One thing that was really fun and interesting and that I have loved to repeat is that while I found, you know, 10 areas to talk about and write about, nobody was having trouble in all 10 areas. So what would happen is that I would interview someone and I would be like, okay, you you are someone whose kids do chores. Like I've seen you or you have responded to this survey. And I I know that that is that for you is something that is working. And the person will say, yes, absolutely. That is working. But oh my goodness, homework is such a struggle. And that happened again and again. For all of us, there are some things that are, that seem fine. For me, it's meals. Meals, while, you know, they can, it's, it's a lot to cook, especially uh, this past year when I've been doing a lot more of it. That's not a big deal for me. Uh, but on the other hand, I've, we've had phases in our parenting life that homework has been, you know, a ma- an unsurmountable mountain of epic proportions that I just uh, would almost want a week to talk about. So something I really enjoyed was that people who wanted 
constructive help in one area could usually give it in another and just talk about why that's not hard for them. And it isn't because, you know, they're the, the golden queen of the mop and everybody in their family loves it. It's because they've, you know, come up with some ways to make that work in their family that, you know, I love that you said that. I think that everybody can use that reminder. Like, let's just pretend there's 10 really, really hard parts of parenting. You are not likely struggling in all 10 of those areas. You're actually probably thriving in a lot of those areas. And you might be really struggling in one or two, maybe three. And we can't forget the things that we're doing well, because I think on those hard days, we tend to go total downward or think that your kids are the worst kids or the worst listener, or you're the worst parent. And the truth is there's a lot that is going well. We need to celebrate that. I wholeheartedly agree. And we also, we just tend to look at other people or, you know, our imagined perfect life that we don't have. And, you know, we tend to, to look at, at anything, whether it's your, you know, your neighbor who's outside with, uh, she's got her guitar and her three kids are sitting around singing. Ouch, Right. I don't even know how to play the guitar. I can't do that. You know, we don't think about the the dinner table trivia game we played last night or the fact that, you know, your kids get to make cinnamon rolls every Sunday morning or or whatever. We've got everybody's got their thing and we don't all have to be, you know, a family of circus traveling trapeze artists. Most of us probably shouldn't be. (laughs) Uh, Such a good point. Now tell me about the Chicken Sisters because that's a book I have not read, but it sounds like it's fiction. Oh yes, right, fiction, but still about parenting. Like, tell me about this. Uh, It's so exciting. (laughs) So yes, I've I have uh, mostly left parenting writing in part because my kids are older, and and that's an evolution we mostly we tend to face unless we're pros. And I was a journalist, not a pro. Yeah, so I, I wrote The Chicken Sisters. It is the story of two small town sisters, one who stays and one who goes. And the one who stays in the small town is helping to run one of two fried chicken restaurants. One's run by her mother. The other's run by her mother-in-law. And she is not happy. So she reaches out to a reality TV show competition to do a war between the two fried chicken restaurants, her mother's and her mother-in-law's. And her mother brings home her sister to help out. And essentially, the two sisters end up using this uh, reality TV show war as a proxy for their ongoing long-time feud over which of them made the right life choices. Wow. Okay. I need to know what was the inspiration for that? How did you get to be there? Well, it's funny because it is actually, and I didn't really realize this until I finished writing the book. It's a book about two women trying really hard to figure out what will make them happy and then how they can possibly do it. And that seems to be all I ever write about. So there's that. But the real inspiration is that my folks grew up in a small town in Kansas that had two fried chicken restaurants. One was called Chicken Annie's and one was called Chicken Mary's. And if any of your listeners are from Southeast Kansas, they will know them. They are famous. And I grew up going to those restaurants at every holiday. Actually, I'm sorry, only going to Chicken Annie's because that's how it worked. You only went to one or the other. You would think those would be like related restaurants, but no, they were totally unrelated. And I wasn't even allowed to go in one of them because there, there was a, a thing and you just did it. Um, so that stuck with me my entire childhood. And I uh, intentionally didn't find out the real story when I decided to write about it. And instead I made up an entire 
book about it, which I do think is fun. And happily, the real owners of the restaurant like it. I was going to say, I hope that you you sent them a copy and I did. shared the inspiration. What a great story. And so, and then how did this become a Reese Witherspoon book club pick? Oh, um, you know, uh, luck, fate, uh, hard work, but luck. I, I can only imagine that trucks back up to her house every day with every book written by a woman uh, that's coming out that week because she's picked such a variety of things. You know, you've had a, you had a guest on, um, who wrote Fair Play. That was one of her yeah. books, um, that she chose. She'll choose books of short stories. She likes thrillers. She likes family stories. It's, she's all over the map. And I, I think genuinely, I'm sure I know it. She's just genuinely picking things that she likes and thinks that lots of other people will like to that are written by women and that share women's stories. Well, congratulations. That's Thank amazing. It that was. must have been an exciting call or email or... <laughs> it was a very exciting call. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, okay. And so what's next? Because I feel like you have another book coming out or you're in process of writing something. I do. I have another novel coming out next summer. It's called In Her Boots. No sisters, but another family story about a woman struggling to find herself in the shadow of her domineering mother when trying to convince her mother that she is a real grown-up which is all made harder by the fact that she has written a book under a pseudonym and when she was asked to appear on stage as the author shoved her best friend out instead oops that's a bad idea if you get the opportunity to do that don't i i I don't think that i'll be doing that (laughs) um and any inspiration you're sharing right now about how you got that storyline in your mind i haven't even gone down that road i don't know i I guess i really i wanted to explore what makes someone crave the role of an internet like a, a a famous author and a famous like an influencer and what makes them really really not want it And, you know, I sort of chose to do that through the lens of someone who had it thrust upon them. And there's lots of farm stuff, too. It it ends up taking a place on a farm. In Kansas? No, in New Hampshire, because they had to be close to New York. Ah, (laughs) So I live in New Hampshire now, even though I grew up in Kansas. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, I can't wait for it. Tell me the name of that one again. That one is called In Her Boots. In Her Boots. And when's that coming out? Not until next summer, so probably July of 2022. July of 20. So are you still wrapping it up? It's in copy edits. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Well, wonderful. Um, How can people find you, follow you? Where can they find out all the great things you're up to? The best place to follow me is on Instagram, where I am at KJDA, but I also have a website. It's kjdelantonia.com, and if you just start trying to spell that, It'll pop up in your drop downs, which is the handy thing about having an unusual name. Uh, there's all kinds of parenting resources on there. And of course, information about my novels as well. Oh, my gosh. Well, I am so happy we finally had a chance to speak. And um, I love that you wrote a nonfiction book and now you're on to novels and you're sort of in the genre. But like you said, you're moving a little bit past just um, the parenting stuff. But for people who have not read how to be a happier parent, raising a family, having a life, and loving almost every minute. I do highly, highly suggest it. And um, I'm myself going to read The Chicken Sisters now. I can't wait. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have listened to this and enjoyed it, please rate, 
review and subscribe to Dr. Cheryl's podcast. Thanks so much.